Well, hello everyone. My name's Luke, and my hair is still long. So that's <laughs> the update on that. Um, oh, sure, sure. Um, <laughs> hi to everyone else that's joining us. Our Edgewood campus, Abingdon, Aberdeen. Anyone online? Hi, Mountain Road. I don't know about you, I'm really taken by this weeds in my garden concept because I am a big time gardener. Always have been. I built this big garden box in our backyard, four feet by 12 feet. And I'm like Mr. Green Thumb. In fact, they used to call me that in college. That was my nickname, Mr. Green Thumb, because I'm super into it. I'll show you a picture, in fact, of that garden box in my backyard. I think we got it. You take a look. See that? It's a beauty, huh? Yeah. I did build that, but nothing else I said is true at all. Um, I got more than weeds in my garden. It's good that you see that now in the winter because when it warms up, those weeds are going to be luscious. Okay? And they'll hide the wagon in the shopping cart. Now it's much easier for me to show you the literal weeds in my garden as opposed to the metaphorical ones. Right? Probably true for all of us. This concept, this word picture, is shining some light into some places that we may not be ready to talk about, may not be ready to expose to others, because we're talking about burdens and anxieties, places of pain, addiction, destructive behavior that we're not proud of. They're like weeds in our garden. And it's good for all of us to understand at the outset that today we're talking about self-harm and suicide. We do believe that this is a safe place for us to have this conversation. And part of that is making everyone aware of resources that could be of help to, to anyone who needs it at any time. We'll put two numbers on the screen. 988 is the National Suicide and Crisis Hotline, and that's a phone call that can be made and connect you with a person that can help. The other is the National Crisis Text Line. 741-741 is open for text messages. Because there are times when we're faced with some heavy things that we just can't bear alone. And a phone call or a text that connects us with someone in a vulnerable moment could be a really important thing. So those numbers will remain on the screen throughout the message. And there are other resources on our website as well, mountaincc.org slash mental health. In, in the recent Christmas season, we read from the Gospel of John, chapter 1. The eternal word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus. Jesus, in Jesus, God speaks. In Jesus, God is present. And that's not just an ancient reality. No, no, God's spirit reassures us. And this is a community that is holding on to the conviction that God still does speak. God is still present. God dwells among us. And I pray that all of us would allow for God and welcome God to dwell with us today. And I was imagining that happening in this way, in these three concentric circles, that God would move in, that God's gracious word would be heard, that God's renewing presence would be felt, that God would quite literally embrace those who are suffering right now, those who are hurting themselves or cutting themselves, those who have attempted suicide in the past or maybe considering it right now. Anyone who is experiencing a pain or is weighed down by a burden that is just too much to carry. And may God also draw near to those who themselves are near to someone who is suffering. Who, who are in the immediate circle of someone who is harming themselves. And may God strengthen and comfort those who are remembering a loved one who has completed suicide. 
And may God dwell with, and may God's word speak clearly and convincingly to our whole mountain community. Uh, the mountain community which stretches to different campuses and anywhere the internet reaches, and even to people who may not consider themselves a part of it yet, but you're here right now. May we all hear God's voice. May we sense God's presence today. We'll, we'll begin more broadly and, and then work our way in. First, let's allow God to address us as a whole community, all of us, from wherever we come, whatever we bring. And it's good for us to be grounded in the foundation that we established in week one, that this is a community in which it's okay to not be okay. Not that it's okay or healthy to go through life without ever cultivating good growth and uprooting bad growth, to use the gardening metaphor. I don't think any of us would say that we'd be okay with the results of a life like that. But it is okay. And in fact, it's essential to a flourishing life to admit that, yeah, I don't have a handle on all this. Not everything growing from my life is uh, pretty as a rose or sweet as a strawberry. I got some weeds. And they're choking out the life that I want and, and that God wants. It's okay to be honest about that. Even if your life, figuratively speaking, looks like that box in my backyard, it's all a mess. Or, or if your weeds are strategically hidden under beautiful blossoms. It's okay to admit, not everything is okay. There are weeds in my garden. And if I got weeds in my garden, and, and I know that everybody's got weeds in their garden, then that's, then that's got to first bring an awareness, which then hopefully generates a sensitivity and compassion in my relationships with other people. We, we understand that every time we gather, when we're doing it here, when students groups on Wednesday night, when I'm meeting with my life group, when I'm serving with my team, I'm among people with weeds. And some who have weeds that are causing a strain and a pain that leads them to injure themselves in order to cope. Some who are starting to believe that suicide is an option. Or, or maybe it's the only option. People all over the spectrum, from those with fleeting thoughts in a discouraging moment to those with a plan and the means to do it. And maybe if God doesn't show up right now and do something, they're going to go through with it. Suicide is the second leading cause of death for those aged 10 to 34. And if we think that we're a church, so we don't have anyone like that around here, it's probably exactly the opposite. If our church is the way designed, the way that Jesus intended Jesus was the one who said, sick people need a doctor. Understand that, and then you'll understand something about me and the community that I came to form. We're that community. And we're sensitive and understanding that people in our midst have scars. On their wrists, in their hearts, in their past and present. And we embody the mantras we paint on the wall. This is for everyone. And welcome home. And that sensitivity and understanding leads to intentionality and honesty. Now, I'm not a therapist. I'm not professionally, professionally trained. Uh, I read. I listen to people smarter than me. I'm not infallible. And I, I have prayed that I just don't say the wrong thing. But, but it seems to me like some solid guidance for a compassionate community is to have loving, direct conversations when someone is in crisis. Or even when you just sense that they're feeling blue. When you, when you hear uh, some hopelessness, you observe some depression, when something just seems off. QPR has come up a lot in the research that I've done. Question, persuade, 
refer. Now, there's whole courses on that, just like CPR. You can take them for free at uh, Upper, Upper Chesapeake. And I'm not equipped to go through all of that right now, but those three words are instructive in themselves. Let me just draw out a few insights. Question means something very specific, but it also describes a helpful, loving posture. If we are loving one another, it means we seek to understand. We listen. If we meet someone struggling, we meet them where they are. Ask them what's going on. Show support. That's what love does. Don't shut down the conversation with judgment or quick fix it. And don't blow off their concerns. Take them seriously. Question and listen for their response to learn where they're at, what they're thinking, what they're feeling. And then very specifically, we have to be a community that can ask the question directly. Are you having thoughts of suicide? Are, are you thinking of ending your life? And receive their answer with poise. Stay with them. Persuade the person to seek and accept help as a reminder that this person needs a guide. They're not in a healthy place. And they may not know how to or may not even want to get out of that place. They need someone who can lead them in a new direction or at least stay with them until more help arrives. Now, we're not all going to be experts. We're not all professional counselors. But we all, we bear with one another in love. We remind people of what's true when lies have taken root, that they have value, that they're not alone. There is hope. I'm with you. And referring someone to appropriate resources acknowledges that I, I'm not a superhero. And I, I'm in the midst, there is a wider community ready to care. The, the web pages that we have called out are representative of that. There are professionals and non-professionals alike among us ready and willing to offer whatever we have to put courage in those who are defeated, to embrace and equip and suffer with and listen to and guide in ways that are both gentle and strong, empathetic and boldly hopeful. This is the way of Jesus. And we are the community that bears his name and is empowered by the Spirit to be a source of healing. Suicide rates have risen 35% in this century. In the name of Jesus and with the love and power of Jesus, we too must rise and shine as a light of hope. I talked to someone the other day who was 30 but who tried to take her life when she was 15. As a teenager, she was wishing for a community like that that heard her and understood her and would walk with her out of the darkness, but she couldn't believe that that's what the church was. That's the kind of church that we've got to be, where conversations about suicide or self-harm don't incur judgment, but they promote healing. Where people in pain aren't dismissed or ostracized, but they're included and embraced and led. May the Lord himself dwell in our midst and empower us to be that kind of community. The statistics that I have encountered say that for each completed suicide, left behind are six to ten people who are very intimately connected and affected. And that probably squares with 
what we would assume. Certainly, we have a number of people in our midst who are, are part of that close ring of people. You, you know this very well as you're remembering a loved one that you've lost. I spoke with some people at our tribute service back in December who were lighting candles for those who died by suicide. As many people have observed, the pain that was escaped by the one who died is now carried by those who remain. And if that's you, may God provide you with the opportunities and the relationships and the help that you need to process that pain. The, the tribute service was designed to be helpful in that way. When, when we have memorial services or gather for family dinners or grief share groups like we have here, even a prayer time with someone after a service like this, all of that can be important parts of the grieving and the healing process. And I find myself very, very intimidated by the heaviness of what we're talking about today. And I'm aware that this preaching moment can't be everything that everyone in this close ring of people needs. But let me try to add some words that can be heard as part of the redeeming work that God wants to do in you. First, let's acknowledge that your grief is complex in some ways that are hard for others of us to understand. I listened to someone talking about his father's suicide, and he said if it was a murder, we'd rage against the murderer. But since it's a suicide, we rage against them and grieve them at the same time. Grief, of course, is challenging enough on its own, but there is both grief and trauma to sort through. And then guilt is often present as well. We chastise ourselves for what we should have done so we can see that this complicated mix of feelings and emotions, and if that's what you're experiencing, I pray that you know God dwells with you as you bear all of that. His, his true and gracious word wants to speak to you and lead you through that dark valley. May God renew you with his presence, and may you find ways to bring yourself honestly before God and work through that with a loving community and with trained counselors and support groups. All of that is available here. Second, we know that suicide often carries a stigma. And if you're the bereaved, you're going, you're going to feel that. But anyone who has perspective and experience with suicidal people would tell you, you don't have to be crazy to think about suicide or to try it. And for that matter, you don't have to be crazy to harm yourself or to think about that either. Very talented, creative, high-achieving people complete suicide. Most who do have in common a major depressive disorder, clinical depression. They're, they're experiencing a pain that they just can't see the end of. And they're feelings of hopelessness. If you're close to someone who has completed suicide or someone is hurting themselves, you are in the midst of a community that is not trying to attach a stigma to you, but wants to attach themselves to you and help you move forward. And third, a word that is important probably for all of us, but maybe especially for those who are grieving the suicide of a loved one. Suicide is not the unforg unforgivable sin. It's not up to me to project or to decide the destinies of the deceased. That is in God's hands. God is love, God is just. God's word to us never says that completing suicide damns a person. What a, what a person does in a moment of weakness does not automatically force God's hand in a particular way. God will not be boxed in like that. 
The depths of pain that a suicidal person experiences are known to God himself. In communion, which we just shared together, we remember our Lord Jesus, abandoned by all his friends, sweating great drops of blood, crying to God in anguish. God knows. God is with the sufferer. And what happens between any individual in the intimate moments of a suicide between them and God isn't fully known to me. I can't preach anyone into heaven. Nor could I ever understand the Bible to be teaching that suicide is a universal ticket to hell. Now, there are probably people who are listening right now who are suffering deeply. And the fear of hell may seem like the only thing holding you back from suicide. And if you were to hear what I'm saying about what's in God's word as a license to end your life, then I would say that you are not hearing the voice of God. God's word does not attempt to control us with fear. It holds out the hope of life. It invites through the power of love, a life and love from the Father to us that can never be overcome no matter what awful things you've done or what's been done to you. God's word is clear. That's reason to live. And we started now to turn to those who are themselves suffering and in the midst of great pain. As we've said all along in this series, the burdens that we're carrying are likely some kind of mix of situational, biological, medical, spiritual influences. If you're in crisis, the pain that you're feeling may need to be worked through on a number of different fronts. If it involves medication, then there's no reason to assume that that's automatically unchristian. On the other hand, a pill is not a substitute for other kinds of healing work, therapy, spiritual practices, uh, being involved in the life of a church community and all around healthy disciplines and relationships. We've been affirming each week all of that is part of the picture for our sustained mental health. I was very proud of my wife last week, um, Holly. She shared some of her story, uh, and you may have heard it. Um, gave some insight into the particular struggles that she bears. And she's told me on other occasions something that she preaches to herself. Every emotion has a beginning, middle, and an end. Don't make a permanent decision over a temporary emotion. Now she herself is someone who is growing through the tension of situations and emotions that she wishes would go away for good. But they're still here. At any moment, she could find herself in the middle of a feeling that she doesn't want. And on, on a large scale, she is in the middle of a journey with anxiety that she never thought would last this long. It doesn't seem to be ending anytime soon. I know I can't say everything that a hurting person might need uh, right now. I'm going to invite someone else out to join me very soon, but... In addition to every resource and relationship that could help, let me just say it's important to know that the Bible is a rich resource for the person suffering through the middle. It's an anthology of people facing great trials and anxieties, depressions and loneliness and all the extremes of life and doing it with faith and hope through gritted teeth. There are seven suicides in the Bible. 
Most of them people who kill themselves before an impending death or capture by an enemy. Those are not the main features of the biblical witness. So many more times, so many more times we're invited to experience with real people uh, the, the agony. People who don't stuff their emotions, but who express them to God from the middle. Cries of, how long, Lord? Psalm 6 and 13 and other places. Why, God? Psalm 10, 22, 42, 74, and several more. These words pierce the darkness, and in faith, the writer holds on through the pain. Over a third of the 150 Psalms are like this. And they form us through a pattern that cries honestly and complains boldly and, and even from the depths of despair, praises God and thanks God. It's a bold declaration that no matter how messy it gets in the middle, God's faithfulness endures to the end. Our hope is in a God who, in the end, will renew all things and is alive and at work even now. A God who raised Jesus from the dead and can bring beauty even from the ashes of our story. When we just don't have words, the Bible gives us a voice from the middle. It calls us to anticipate the end of the journey and in praise and gratitude ask that God would bring his future into the now of these feelings, this loneliness, this pain, and to wait in faith, endure in hope, be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Job, his stories in the Bible, he was suicidal. And through his complaints, this is what he did. And you know, even when you are just so low that you can't bring yourself to make that turn to praise and thank God, and darkness is your only friend, well, then there's Psalm 88 to remind you that you're not alone. We read from it earlier today. And may it give you the strength to speak to God. Henry, you back there? I want to invite someone to uh, come out and join me today. This is Henry Cuffey uh, making your way. Thanks for being here. Can you welcome Henry to the stage here? What's up, man? Thank you. Thank you for joining me. Henry and I have been friends. We play basketball together and um, try to keep up with him. He's much younger than I am. <laughs> uh, you know what we're talking about today, Henry, and you yeah. have some important things to share. It's kind of been part of your story. Tell us a little bit about, just give us a background. What was it like growing up for you? Um, yeah, so I uh, grew up in a town called uh, Del Mar, Maryland, um, somewhere like Comico County, um, for those of you who know it. I lived there until I was about 10 years old. Um, Around that time, my, uh, my parents decided, um, you know, they were going to separate for a little bit. And uh, that was a very traumatic um, experience for me. And um, when I came to Hartford County, it was a lot of um, wondering and feeling like an oddball, feeling like a weirdo. I've always felt like this, this weird individual growing up. Like I had a, 
I was very um, late with riding a bike. Um, I didn't really listen to the same music like everybody did. Um, so I was always seen as like a weirdo or an outcast. And so what happened was in fifth grade, and it was just a random lie, I just said, you know what? I was like, I'm gonna make people love me now that I'm here. And I just had one random lie one day and I was like, well, I've been to California before. And the kids looked at me and they were like, wow, that's awesome. And I was like, you know, I'm gonna keep this going. And um, so what happened was it eventually led down the road where in high school, uh, it was a lot of, um, well, backtrack a little bit. Uh, when I was around 10 or 11, I got introduced to, actually with my friends, got introduced to porn at an early age. Um, it was about 10 or 11. Um, high school came around, um, junior year, senior year, started smoking weed with my friends. Um, then senior year, started drinking. Um, college came around, it was a lot of uh, partying, it was a lot of having premarital sex. It even got so bad at the point where um, to feel a void of being accepted, I got to the point where it was sleeping with prostitutes in hotel rooms and motels and all of those things. And it was, um, I felt like I was hiding behind a mask. Mm. And uh, so, yeah. A lie that you told then became a lie that you're living. Exactly. Would anybody have known that you were struggling? Um, no, 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 um, no. Mm -mm. What were the things that were being unfulfilled that were causing some pain for you? Um, I just wanted to be accepted and I felt like growing up um, with issues going on, uh, you know, um, my parents were having issues, so with my dad not being there physically, um, my mom wasn't there emotionally, so a lot of time I felt alone. Mm -hmm. And so it eventually led to me leading out to certain cliques and I could quote unquote blend in with everybody, however no one really knew who I was. Mm -hmm. And so it was just the need to be accepted that I felt was, uh, was the void that was there. Were you ever diagnosed with a mental illness? Um, no, uh, they said it was pretty mild. Um, however, it does run in the family, so I wouldn't be surprised if something came up. So you know we're talking about self-harm and suicide today. Right. Talk to us about how those things have been relevant for you. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so when I was in ninth grade, um, I started having suicidal thoughts. Mm -hmm. um, I started uh, thinking, well, you know, I feel unimportant, I feel like a waste of space. Um, what if I just ended my life right here and would anybody care? And that was my moniker for most of high school. Um, and then college came around and I said, you know what, this is my fresh start. I'm not gonna go by my name Henry because I shared a name with my dad and my grandfather, so I was the third. And I was like, I'm just gonna go by my nickname. So I ended up putting on this mask of an alter ego that I was, I was living. And um, obviously, when I just shared with you what just happened, um, that depression, it started turning into a depression as if like, I felt as if I couldn't be who I was, who I truly was at the core. And so I eventually, I just had this look on my face and society today will call it angry black man syndrome, where um, you just walk around and you would just have like all these emotions and you just look as if like you were just angry with the world, which in reality, I wasn't angry. I was just, I was sad because I couldn't, I felt as if I couldn't be the real Henry. Yeah. Um, and then uh, when I graduated college, um, mind you, I was big into basketball. I was a college basketball player. You knew that. Um, but uh, I uh, decided, um, you know what, I'm going to try and play overseas. So I ended up having a tryout with the, uh, actually with the, the G League affiliate of the Philadelphia 76ers, Delaware Bluecoats. Um, made it to final cuts. They cut me. They said, you know what? Um, 
we don't really want you right now, but uh, just wait about a year and then you come back. Um, so then around this time, uh, COVID hit. And so then I got my contract signed. I was supposed to go to Australia and they said, well, uh, we're not allowing any Americans to come in. So um, that's it. And I was like, well, dang. So my life all shattered because I was living behind me being a basketball player, of what it would bring. Um, and so relationship broke up. Yeah, yep, yep. Was, uh, was dating a girl at the time. Um, she dumped me. And at this point, um, I was just at a really low place and I lost it. And um, I was at work. I was working as an HR assistant at this one warehouse I was at. And um, on my lunch break, I was just like, you know what? Um, I'm going to go home and I'm going to kill myself. I said, today's the day. Um, ended up texting my friends, trying to see, ended up calling my sister, she didn't answer. Called my other friend, she didn't answer. Texted my other friend, um, he didn't respond. So I went home and uh, my mom had this big collection of, uh, of kitchen knives. And it's a big kitchen knife, that mug was like this long, this wide, and I picked it up and I brought it to my neck. And typically my phone's on silent, but today, my phone was on ring. I got a text message, and my buddy texted me. And he said, yo, bro, I missed your text. Like, what's up? I'm with family. Are you good? And um, I broke down, and I cried. And I said, no, actually, I'm not good. Um, I'm ready to die. I'm ready to kill myself. Um, my life feels unfulfilled. I feel like a waste of space. Um, and... Uh, yeah, so um, he prayed with me that night. Um, I had another friend. She called me. She stayed on me the phone all night. However, those thoughts didn't stop there. Um, it actually led to, uh, during that summer, it was a lot of me. Um, I was trying to drink myself to death, and um, it was me drinking, getting behind the wheel. I had a nice Toyota Camry. I was on the highway driving as fast as I could to see if I could just ram myself in the back of a truck or into a tree or something along those lines because... I just didn't feel important, and um, it felt like a waste of space, and I felt like it was just it was my time to go. Thank you for being honest about that. Um, yeah. You, you've made it. You made it through those experiences. Mm -hmm. Talk to us a little bit about what helped. Yeah. What helped turn and uh, go in a new direction. Um, well, first I'll say, uh, first thing is I'm um, having a praying mother, um, mm -hmm. for sure, because um, mm -hmm. Something about a mother's prayers. God always answers a mother's prayer, mm -hmm. right? And um, I think another thing for me was um, just getting into community. Um, my community, shout out to uh, my mom, my dad, my sister, um, Greg and Emily Grant at Mountain Christian. They've been a very big help for me. Um, and just being honest and essentially just um, reading the word of God every day. Um, what happened was I was in a space where... Um, I was just praying to God. I was like, God, I don't want to wake up. Like, I just, I, I can't go through it today. I don't feel like it. And it was in those moments that God just grabbed me. Mm -hmm. And he was just like, I love you. Yeah. I have a plan for you. Your message does not end here. Mm -hmm. And um, mm -hmm. it's those moments where I look back and I'm thankful. Um, and it just allowed me just every day to just ruminate on the word of God. Mm -hmm. And every day it was like it was speaking to me and it was revealing to me. And it was, the word says that the Bible is like a two-edged sword. And I truly felt like every day I was reading the word and every day that I was allowing myself to be filled with his words and filled with the verses that are coming, it felt as if a chain was being broken. Whether it was in my mind or it was in my heart, whereas it was a connection that I needed to cut off. 
And um, so I would say that those things definitely helped. Um, another thing is just practical things. So um, another thing for me was just my diet. So I'm actually vegan now. Um, helped with uh, a little bit of the mental health. And um, also just also being honest and being transparent whenever I need help. So for example, um, I, have, I battle with seasonal depression as well. So especially shout out to Greg and Emily. They know, for example, around the springtime, they know to text me, hey, we love you. You can come over and hang out. I'll make you all the waffles you can eat. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah. So essentially just the word of God and having a community and just trying to reshape yourself. What's inspiring to me, none of those things have been a quick fix. It wasn't yeah. a quick turn and it is a long battle. But right. you, you have demonstrated a long obedience in the same direction. Mm -hmm. And you talked about feeling like an oddball early on. <laughs> That's actually what drew me to you. Yeah. I was like, who, I, I, I said, you're kind of like a unicorn, man. <laughs> because not a lot of kids your age just mm -hmm. keep showing up to church every Sunday. Right. And you were there and you were present. And even in a place where it didn't, you maybe didn't have opportunities to connect immediately. Yeah. But you have now and you're someone that's using your gifts and offering yourself to God. It's not like life is all roses. Absolutely. Even right now. Absolutely. You're journeying honestly before God and you're surrounded by people who love you and love God. Mm -hmm. uh, what have you learned about yourself and about God through all that? I would say the one thing that I learned specifically is um, I learned who God was for me. Mm. Um, so a lot of time I used to hear people with their testimonies and I'm just like, God didn't show up for me like that. God didn't show me for like this. He, you know, God didn't give me a brand new car. Or he didn't bless me with the spouse. Like I'm still 25, I live at home. You know what I mean? So I was like, I didn't think God could bless me like that. Um, so it was just reminding me that the same way that God blessed Moses to part the sea was the same way he blessed uh, David with the slingshot. Same God, two same bless, but you can't compare the two. And um, it just reminded me of the way that God works in my life may not work for the way God someone works, the way God works in somebody else's life. And um, that was powerful for me because it allowed me to remember that, um, that I'm uniquely and wonderfully made. Like um, uh, the Gospels, uh, the prophet Drake once said, I'm sorry for bringing up Drake in church, but um, Drake, Drake has a song and he, in the song he goes, he says, you don't worry about fitting in when you're custom made. And that was... Um, yeah, uh, that was something that stuck with me for the longest time. And um, just, I think it also reminded me that it's okay to not be a, it's okay to not be perfect. Like growing up in church, you know, it was basically, you're going to hell if you had a wrinkle in your shirt, right? And it's, um, and it's just, it's, yeah, I know it's funny. I'm sorry. <laughs> but um, it's just one of those things where uh, you had to, you had to re, you had to relearn that. And just remind yourself that, um, that yes, it's not something that's like a snap of the finger. Like, um, eventually, uh, it's one of those things where um, it's a process. Sure. God works in either immediate or he works in a process. And while I was working through the process, even though my blessing might not have happened immediately, he was also doing things along the way. He was shaping the way I loved people. He was shaping the way I judged people. He was shaping the way that I served people. Yeah. And um, I would say that was... The biggest thing for me, for sure. Yeah. It was powerful. Well, I've never seen a wrinkle in your shirt, but <laughs> I have uh, been inspired to watch you live your life, honestly and openly, before God and others, and uh, grateful for you. Thank you for being open and sharing your story. Thank you. I know that it's empowering, encouraging for a lot of people listening. Mm -hmm. So would you show your appreciation to the Lord and to Henry? For, uh, <laughs>
And I, I don't know where you are today. I pray that anyone who finds themselves suffering would experience God's presence. Uh, you may feel alone. You're, you're not alone. Uh, you're seen and loved by your Heavenly Father. Uh, one of the most important things that you can do maybe is to reach out to someone who loves God and loves you and be willing to admit to someone, yeah, I got weeds in my garden. And even if you don't have the strength to hope, you are in the midst of a community that will hold on to hope for you and hold on to you. I'm going to close by reading from Romans 8. Uh, Romans 8 is a beautiful chapter. It talks about our adoption into God's family as sons and daughters. It's very honest about the suffering that's in the world. It talks about the whole world groaning in pain. And it says that in the midst of that, God's spirit is with us. God's spirit is even in us. And it points to our ultimate hope of the renewal of all things. In this hope, we are saved. And if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. And in the meantime, if God is for us, who can be against us? Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.